Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning into our service on our YouTube channel. We are in our Nehemiah series where our pastor's heart is really to just talk about how we fortify our lives in the Lord so the enemy can't get in and steal and kill and destroy and how we build that up with God in every way in our lives. So let's get into the service. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you at the end. Good. It is good to be back here, up here. The last few times I've preached, this room has been completely empty. I got to be lucky enough to speak to no one. So I feel fired up that people are here with me and get to hear alongside um, what the Lord wants to speak. Because I think I will never again, right, take for granted getting to gather as a church, getting to come in person and be together and worship our God. I think there's real power in that and it's not the same thing at home coming here. And so I'm so grateful and thankful that we all get to come and gather this morning together. And before we jump into the message, I just have a really cool update to share um, about the Legacy Campaign. So last week, Pastor John, my dad, said we uh, have raised about $2 million. Another church, $250,000 in the last week has come in. I mean, that's amazing, right? In, in just a few short weeks, we've, we've raised $2.25 million. And I think there's just so, you know, I had this dream and my dad asked if I would share part of my story in this. I, I had this dream probably in December, end of December. And in the dream, we were here at this church and it was, it was a giving weekend and um, there were these two burlap sacks on the stage. And in the dream, we were all coming forward and it was just being filled up with gold coins, just more and more gold coins to the point that it was overflowing. There was no more space left in these sacks and you couldn't tie them shut. And our problem was we didn't know how to move them. We had so much overflow that we didn't know how to move. It was almost like, okay, please stop giving. Please stop because we have too much. And I felt like the Lord um, was saying, saying, hey, nothing's impossible for me. And this isn't just one person giving, and this isn't a few people who are of great stature giving to this. This is all people, all of Jubilee coming together to be a part of this. And the Lord, JJ and I were just praying about it and just so excited. And we got to go to um, the CU building and, and tour it um, as a senior team. And while I was there, I was like, before we went a little hesitant going, this is big, right? I mean, it almost feels daunting. Like this is really overwhelming and I run a lot of the creative stuff. So I think this is a lot more job for me to do selfishly. But we get there and we walk through, they almost, they have this huge room um, with like animals and it's completely re redone. Like uh, uh, the museum, if you've, have, have any of you been there? Very cool. And I'm standing there and I'm looking around and I just was so moved by the thought, this isn't for me, this is for my children. And I was thinking, one day I will come to this building and I will drive my children here and I want to say, I sacrificed something for you to have this. And I sacrificed greatly for us. And, and I just, that moving and that maybe my grandchildren, one day I'll get to drive them there and be like, I gave to this for you. 
and that my great, great grandchildren, right? That we, I was thinking um, when I had the dream the Lord gave me, when David built the temple, they had it, all the people, right? It started at the top and worked its way down. And I was thinking when they built the temple, think of the people that got to go back to it with their descendants, with their family and go, look at what we did for the Lord. And I just felt, we, JJ and I felt so moved to be a part of that. And, and we gave, we, we actually went before we'd even started the legacy campaign and my parents were super busy and I'm like, we have to come by because we had decided on an amount that was costly to us and maybe to other people, it wouldn't have been costly, but hey, we're pastors. So it was costly <laughs> to us. And we went to their house because sometimes if you don't do it immediately, when you hear the voice of the Lord, it's really easy to convince yourself out of it, right? Especially with your money, especially in I value, I'm a safe person. I am not wild. I like to play safe decisions. And we went and we gave this money and we said, we want to be the first. We want to be the first to give and the first to sow into this because God wants to do something great. This is greater than Jubilee. This is greater than Pastor John and Chris. This is greater than me. This is for our legacy church. And so I just think it's not just about the money. It's about the time and it's about the effort and it's about all of it. And I just think, watch and be amazed. God wants to do something. And my encouragement to you is be a part of that. In some way, in some capacity, so into this. So that whether it's that building or another building, that when we get there, you can drive your family one day and be like, look at what we did for the Lord, right? So that was just a cool update and I just can't wait to see what happens this next week. And you know, it's, it was in the dream, it was like, the, it was like 10,000, 20,000, which on any given weekend would be this amazing thing. And I, I kept joking with my parents, like, you're going to get million dollar checks and it's going to be such a like normal thing because the Lord wants to do such a great thing. And I just thought that it's happening. What an amazing thing. And that we should just thank God. Thank you, Lord, for your provision in this. So we are currently in the middle of a series called Nehemiah, and it is the second week. If you did not hear last week's message, Pastor John kicked it off and started with chapters one and two, and I just encourage you to go back on our website and listen to it. It was a really powerful message and just gives a nice um, overview of the beginning of Nehemiah and him building the walls. But I want to give a little context to what's happening in this time frame of Nehemiah. And so the... Is, Really, it's Ezra and Nehemiah together. Eventually, they separated it out. But originally, they think that this was one book, Ezra and Nehemiah. And there's three themes that are going on in this book, right? Israel has sinned against God. He warned them many, many times. If you do not turn from your ways, this is going to happen. There will be destruction and the temple's destroyed and they're taken into captivity. But here's what we know, right? God is a God of his promise. And he says, even though you are going into captivity, even though this is happening, I will fulfill my promise. You are still my people. I'm still your God, and I will lead you back to Israel. And so we see this after 70 years, and this is where the story of Ezra picks up in chapters one through six, and this man named Zerubbabel goes and he rebuilds the temple. He does this impossible thing. God makes a way. It's this promise, and God calls this man to go and do it, and he does it. And then in chapter seven through 10, in the end of Ezra, we see Ezra come, this great encourager, this man of the Lord, and he goes back 
to Israel. And the second theme of these, these books is this idea of purifying the Jewish community. They had been led astray, right? They had, it took one generation. I think about this all the time. One generation to forget the ways of the Lord. 70 years, that was it. And I think that, that Ezra, he goes and it talks about this. He finds the word of the Lord. He finds these scrolls. And there's this most intense intercessory prayer that we experience and we read from Ezra's perspective of this humbling man coming before the Lord. It's amazing what humility does in a situation with Jesus. And he says, we have sinned against you. We have been led astray. We have not been walking with you, Lord. Would you forgive us? And it's this purification. It's this reuniting. It's this, this, this connecting back to God. And how many times do we need that, right? Thank goodness for the blood of Jesus that, that we get to have that every morning, that I can wake up and have the understanding that I have grace now in him. And so that's where the end of Ezra stops. And then we pick up with this book of Nehemiah. And this man, there's this call to Nehemiah. There's this promise. There's this, this anointing. There's favor on this man. And the Lord calls him back to Israel to rebuild the walls. And isn't that interesting, right? It's, it's you build the temple. You, you give yourself to God. And that cannot be the only two things you do. You have to build a wall around yourself. Because the whole purpose of the wall and why they had to rebuild the wall is there was destruction that kept trying to come in. There was attacks that were constantly happening. And without the protection of the wall, those two things were not going to be effective. And today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how do we do this? How do we, we fight for this? Because here's the thing. I hear a lot of people tell, tell me this. If I could just hear God's word, if I could just get this promise, if I could just know the word of the God, the word of God for my life or for my family or for my job or for this situation or this circumstance, it would be so easy. If I could just hear his voice, if I could just understand what he wanted, my life would be so simple. But here's the truth. The easy part is hearing God's word. The hard part is contending for that word. It's hard and it's not easy. And, and the second that you hear the word of God and the promise of God, then you have to hold on to that promise. And I think we a lot of times just go, well, no, 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 no. That I, it, I must not have heard your voice right if it's hard. If it's hard, you're probably doing it right. <laughs> Serving Jesus is not always easy. Fighting for the promise is not easy. And I think that in this season, you know, who would have said and who would have ever thought we would be in this place a year ago, right? Would you have ever thought the world would look how it looks right now? Never. And I think what's happening is the Lord, I felt as I was preparing this message, God is preparing us in small things because there will be a point that there will be a big contending for your faith that you will have to do in this world. And I think we are closer to that than we were for sure a year ago. 
I mean, we're having real conversations about how do we, how does this look? It says this, he will shake everything that can be shaken. And here's the truth, you and me can be shaken. So what are you holding on to that can't be shaken? And it's the word of God, it's his truth, it's his promise, and we have to hold on to that, and we have to lean into that. But there's an effective way to fight for that, and there's a very ineffective way to fight the enemy in this. I mean, in war, right, there's two sides. A lot of times it's not the stronger or better or the bigger army that wins, it's the effective army that wins. We need to be effective in what we do effective in how we fight, effective in how we contend. And in Nehemiah 4, we see this brilliant contending for this. He's been called and he has a mission and he fights for it perfectly. And so I think there are three things that he does that we're gonna look at in this story. And the first one is this. And when we fight, we don't argue with the enemy. We don't argue with the enemy and it's what he wants, just so you know. It's what he wants. He wants to spend time with you. I mean, he is more than willing to hang out with you and let you know what he thinks of you. And we like to think, well, maybe he plays fair. He does not play fair. And when you are down and you are knocked out and he has discouraged you and he has cut you where it hurts, he then comes in for the kill. He is not a fair fighter. And in Nehemiah 4, 1 through 6, we see this really interesting thing happen. Now in Sanballat, right? It's this man and his descendants were of those who the Israelites came in and took out. And what happens when we leave ground unprotected, the enemy that we have knocked out is always waiting to come back and take that land. And so this is this man, and of course he says, it says, Samballot heard that we were building the wall. He was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. The enemy is greatly enraged when you find the promises of God. The enemy does not like when you are on a mission, when you are contending for the promises of God. He does not like it. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? I think what he's doing right here is he's reminding them of their failure in the past. Look at how you've already failed. Look at, you see the ash What can God make from ash? Look at your failure. Look at, we've already ruined it. What are you going to do with a bunch of rubble? And it's this mocking and the enemy comes in and is so quick to remind us, do you remember your past? Do you remember who you were? You think you're worthy of doing this? You think you're called by God? You think you're important? You think you deserve a good marriage and a good family? Do you remember who you were? Look at the damage you've already done. Why are you trying? He comes in and he begins to make these accusations and he begins to intimidate you. 
to show you what you are in the flesh. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox, I love this, right? This is just complete humiliation. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. I mean, that's a pretty bad wall if a fox can't even stand on it. Feels embarrassing. Sometimes we look at our progress and we're like, yeah, maybe you're right. And we begin to come into agreement with what the enemy's saying. We begin to say, yeah, okay, maybe. But here is what Nehemiah does. Instead of turning to his enemy to go, no, no, you're wrong, right? Instead of entertaining, even hearing the voice of his enemy, he does this really amazing thing. He turns to God. And he says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Do not be nice to the enemy. Right? We live in this culture of, let's, well, we need to be nice to everybody. No, he hates you. Don't be nice to him. Don't be polite to your enemy who's out to kill you. If someone came into your house and was going to hurt your family, would you be nice to them? Why are we polite? Why do we give him the courtesy? Seriously, I am so sick of it. We live in a time that it's like, you have to be nice to everyone. No, he's out to kill you. Cut him. (laughs) But take it up with the Lord, right? Vengeance is the Lord. And all you have to do is say, God, you turn it back on him. I don't have time. I'm on a mission. I'm on a call. I'm building the wall. So God, you deal with it while I'm building your kingdom. You handle it, Lord. It's yours. The victory has already been given over. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Not us. They have provoked God. When the enemy comes after you, it provokes God to anger. Do not forget who is greater. Do not forget who is the head and not the foot, right? Who is below and who is above. He is above and he reigns supreme. And instead of going to the enemy and beginning to argue and thinking that's the way you win it, go to the Lord himself and take your request up to him. And then this, right? He takes it to God and I love this. So we built the wall. That's it. It's that simple. Throw your attacks, throw your accusations. Come and try to intimidate me. I will take it up to the Lord and I will continue to build my wall. I will continue to do the work. And all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Can we be a people that have a mind to work? We have to be hard workers. Building the kingdom of God is not light work. It's not for the faint of heart. But you know what? You were called to do it. You were set aside to do it. You were meant to be here at this time and in this moment. And no one is exempt from building the kingdom of God if you are living in the kingdom of God. 
We all have a responsibility. We all are going to be held accountable and we have to be willing to do the work. And I think the enemy's greatest power is his lies. And it is his greatest power because here, or, but I want to put a twist on that. His lies and his accusations are his greatest power, but do you know it's only in condition of you in agreement with it. There is no power in his lies when you do not agree with his lies. He can do nothing with his lies unless you know who actually has the power is you and your words and your voice. Your voice speaking it out gives it power, but not his. And this is the struggle. I, it's easy to read this and go, yeah, we, we're Nehemiah. We, we, we would do that. But you know what? This has been the original struggle from the very beginning. This has been it. This has been the hardship. And we see this in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent, right, our enemy, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Sometimes it's not even a lie. It's this moment of, did, did God say that? Did God tell you that? Did that really happen? Is it really possible? Did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, right? She begins to entertain this conversation. She begins to talk back. No, no, we may. We can eat, but there's a caveat to it. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. There's a few things wrong with this. One, she should have just said, yes, God really did say. Done. Done. There's no arguing that. Yes, God did say that. And walk away. But she also twists God's words because did he actually say you will die? You may not touch it. Did he actually tell her don't touch it? See, she's also now putting in her own words and the enemy's really good at finding those places in our life. Because then he answers her back. Oh, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I think all of this comes down to, is it not trust in your father? Is it not believing his words and knowing they're good? Knowing he has good for you? And sometimes I think we want to go there with the enemy because sometimes I think we also get frustrated. And it like, it, it's therapeutic. Well, no, God did say, and you're trying to, you're trying to reason yourself into believing what God said. And the second the enemy senses that, lies then begin to work their way in. 
I mean, church, what, where would we be? And where would have Eve been if she would have just shut the mouth of the enemy right then and there? Don't argue. Don't spend your time arguing with the enemy. He will win. He is cunning and he is crafty and he is good at lying and at what he does. And he wears you down. He does not stop. He wears you down. And the attack you have is in your voice saying, yes, God did say it. Now go away. I'll take this up with the Lord. So that's the first thing. Don't argue. Don't argue with him. And the second thing is this, when we are fighting this, when we are contending, sometimes we need to bring in reinforcements. Sometimes the weight is too much to bear by yourself. And that's not bad and that's not failure and that's not you doing it wrong. Sometimes the weight of the attack is too much to bear alone. When God made Adam, right, God would walk with Adam and God would spend time with Adam. And even in that, he said, you know what, Adam, you need someone like you. It's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to spend this life by yourself. You need someone in your life. You need someone who can sharpen you and you need someone who can encourage you and you need somebody who can come alongside you. And I think if we learned anything in 2020 and in pandemic mode and in isolation is it does not lead to good things for people. I know we talked about it last week, but I think it's significant to really think through the one group of people that has not suffered mentally is churchgoers who come and meet together. And that is not, if you are listening online and you have a reason for not being here, that is, there is no judgment in what I am saying. And we fully embrace that, right? Older people and health issues, we, I have deep understanding for that. And you ha keep yourself safe. But if you can be here, you should be here. It's good for you. You are meant to be in community with people. You are meant to share your burden with people people. And if you are listening to this and you are struggling and no one knows that you are having a hard time and you are fighting the hardest battle of your life, you are not doing it right. You are not doing it right. You are falling into the trap that the enemy has set for you because if we are meant to bring in reinforcements, then his counterattack would be to put you in isolation. In isolation, lies breed themselves. In isolation, discouragement is grown. In isolation, you are not fully the person you were meant to be. You were meant to have reinforcements. Nehemiah 4, 7 through 14. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard isn't it interesting that also your enemy brings in reinforcements? At the beginning of this chapter, it's just two men and they're talking. And yet all of a sudden now they're realizing, oh, maybe there is a threat here. 
Maybe our jeers and our words aren't enough. Maybe now, maybe we need to bring in reinforcements. And church, your enemy brings in reinforcements. He wants to take you out and he brings spirits with him to take you out. And you have to be prepared. Bring in your own reinforcements. Heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. When the enemy sees God's work being moved forward, he gets very angry. When the walls begin to close and he begins to understand and see that now all of a sudden that well-worn path is not going to be there. He's going to come at you harder. There is going to be more contending for that, but keep going because when the walls are up, he has nothing left. And they all plotted together to come fight and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. He wants to cause confusion. He wants to cause confusion in you and amongst the people. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. Sometimes the burden is too much alone. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. He wants to kill you and stop your work. What you are doing, what we are doing is greater than just ourselves. And we have to begin to look at it like that. What you are doing does not just impact your life. You don't understand the impact and, and why God has called you to what you are called to. And maybe we won't have all those answers here on this earth, but I promise you there will be a day you will look back and God will reveal to you, oh, that's why I did that then. And that's why you called me to that in that moment. And that's why I served so long in that position, not knowing why I was doing it. You had a purpose for it. I was building a wall for someone else. I was building your kingdom. I was a part of something greater than myself. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of the enemy. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because remember this church. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember who you serve. Remember whose kingdom you're building. Remember what God is greater than anything else. Remember how awesome he is. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid and fight for who? Your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It is not just you you're fighting for. It's not just you you're fighting for. 
We were never meant to battle alone. And here's, here's what I know. Some of us are more vulnerable and weaker than others, right? And the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that you don't have to do it alone. And where you are weak, I can be strong. And where I am weak, you can be strong. And we are not meant to do it alone because we all have weaknesses. And sometimes we need a brother and a sister to come in and fight on our behalf. But I can't fight for you if I don't know you're in a battle. Don't let pride be the thing that gets in your way of having your breakthrough of fighting for your promise. There are things that the Lord has spoken over my life that sometimes feel too great, right? Me? God, you've called me to that? Words that I've been given for me? And sometimes, church, it's really hard to see yourself the way the Lord sees you. And so what I've learned to begin to do is when I'm given promises from the Lord, I want I write them down because I really like to go back and go, look, enemy, look, he did say it. I have it right here on this date and in this time. And then the second thing I do, and this is very important, I go to people who I trust and who love me and I tell them the promises God has given me. Because I know at some point and in some moment, there will be a fight. There will be a time that my eyes will have a hard time seeing that. And I will need people to tell me, you can do it. You can get past this. You can get up today. You can do this. I'm speaking to someone right now. You can do this. This battle you face is not forever. If there's one thing I've learned about life is it comes in seasons and the wonderful news about seasons is they don't last forever. No season will last forever. And if you are in the darkest winter and the longest night and you are holding on for dear life and you feel like it has been so long since you've seen the day, can I tell you to hold on just a little longer? Do not give up. It is not forever. Nothing lasts forever except his word. Hold on to his word. Hold on to his promise. Hold on to the things that he has given you. Church, we have to begin to be a church that our faith is greater than our circumstance. That our promises he's given us are greater than the things that our eyes can see. Because here's the truth. That is not faith. That is not faith. The world can do that. We have to have a faith that goes, God, even when my eyes cannot see it, I believe it. I think there has to be a faith inside of us that goes, God, even if I don't see it here, I know you'll fulfill it there. I've spoken on this before, but I think it's so pertinent to this. When Joseph died in Egypt, he told them before he died, Do not bury me here. 
Because the word of the Lord was they would go to Israel and they would inherit that land. And so he told his people, don't you dare leave me here. Because even if I am not here to see it and my eyes will not see it and my mouth will not taste of it, you will move me with you when you go. And I will be buried in the land of my people in the place that God has promised me. And our faith has to be that. Our fighting for a generation has to be that. That if we don't see it, the generation after us will see it. You're not fighting for just yourself. You're fighting for a new generation. You're fighting for a new people. And I'll tell you this, I believe, how many people have you heard talking about revival? Well, how can we talk about revival if that faith is not inside of us to believe in it? I talk to Christians all the time. I've had these questions. Do you really believe that Genesis happened? Yes, how can you believe in Jesus if you don't believe in Genesis? Where is your faith that the impossible can happen with God? Where is your faith? He is asking us to rise up, fight for the promises, hold on to the things. I am looking for a people who will hold on to the promises when this world fades away. When you are pushed up against a wall, when the enemy has cornered you, what will you say? What will you do? Will you cower or will you be unintimidated by him? It's time. The Lord wants to use us and bring us to a new place. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We have to do this for one another. We have to live in community, in relationship, not giving up meeting together. It's important to him. And if it matters to him, it should matter to us. As some are in the habit of doing, I got out of habit of this. I got real used to, it took me a long time to come back to church. It's a lot of work getting three kids ready for church. And it just got comfortable and it got easy. Let us not give up the habit of coming and meeting together and encouraging one another. And then this, And all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, we're one day closer than we were yesterday. I mean, I don't know the day and I don't know the time, but I certainly feel like it's closer than it was last January. And I want to be prepared and I want you to be prepared. And I want my kids when they go downstairs to be prepared. And I want them to learn about Jesus. I want them to know this faith. I want them to experience this. I pray for my son every single day before he gets out of my car to go to school. God, would you anoint him to be a city on a hill that he would be used by you and for you. God, that he would have an understanding that his life is greater than just living for himself. God, that his life would be lived for you because in that there is freedom and joy and perfection and you will never find it living for yourself. And then the last thing, how do we contend for this? We labor and we defend at the same time or together. Nehemiah 4, 15 through 23. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, can we just thank him? He frustrates the plan of the enemy. He frustrates his plan. Do not, I guess this, don't go into battle unprepared for what God can do. 
We all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. And then pay attention to this. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand. They had a tool in this hand and a weapon in the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. The work is great and widely spread and there's a lot to do. And we are separated on the wall far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally us there, our God will fight for us. Be listening for the trumpet sound. Be listening for his voice. Be listening for where he's going and where he's leading you. Though the work is great, though it feels impossible, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hands. They were prepared at all times for battle. They were ready and willing to fight. They had full confidence though that they could do it. And I think here is, here's where the effectiveness of fighting comes in. You have to hold your tool in one hand, but in the exact same breath, you better have a sword in your other. And it can't be one or the other because if we have our back and we're building and we're building and we're building and we're unprepared for the attack of the enemy, you make yourself vulnerable to it. The Bible tells us we have an armor of God, right? And most of it, all of it, except one piece is for defense. It's for protection. There is one piece that he gives us that is to kill the enemy. And it's that sword. And you know what it's called? The sword of the spirit. And do you know what that represents? God's word. You want to kill him? You want to take him out? All you need are the words of God. Do you know his word? Do you know it? Can you recite it? Can you give it off? Do you know the promises he has for you? Do you have full faith in them and full trust that God really is a God of his promise? Jesus had to do this. Jesus goes to the desert and is tempted over and over and over and over. And not only that, he has no food in his system. And if you think your physical body doesn't affect your spiritual body, you are mistaken. It does. He is weak. He is hungry. And the enemy is very good. I mean, if Jesus is even struggling with this, why do you think you won't? But you know what he tells the enemy over and over? He just quotes scripture to him. 
He just quotes the word of God. There is so much power. Do not underestimate the power of God's word in your life. Your enemy knows its power, and he doesn't want you to know it. We have to have a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. And so as I come to the end of my message, I, um, I've struggled with contending for God's promises, I think. And this last year, I, whether it was a bad year or a good year for you, can we just all agree it was a weird year? It was weird and it just, it threw us out of what we're used to and our comfortability. And for some reason, a lot of that just, I don't know. I think I had a lot of time to myself, to be honest with you. And sometimes when we begin to think like that, discouragement can come in. Like thoughts about yourself just aren't so great. (laughs) Or promises that you've not had a problem believing all of a sudden are hard to believe or or when things get hard. It's easy to believe in the promise when things are easy. It's not so easy when things are hard. And so I felt like the Lord had given me this promise and I was in this place feeling like, God, my circumstance is not lining up with this. And you fill it in for you, right? And so I went to bed one night a couple weeks ago, and I was really discouraged. Just, if I can be real, I was in those moments like, God, do you really fulfill what you say? I mean, do you? Do you do it for me? Isn't that interesting, that lie? God, I've seen you do the impossible. I've seen you do it for other people. Where are you for me? Where's my miracle? God, I'm standing in the sea and it hasn't parted. I'm here and I'm waiting and I've been faithful, God. I've served you. I've laid my life down to serve you. Where are you? Where are you? And you can put your situation in that. Is it your marriage? Is it where your family's at? Is it where your kids are at? And you've had words and you know God's promise for that? Is it your job? Is it your finances? And you're going, God, why aren't you showing up for me? Do I matter to you? And this is just all swirling in my head as I go to sleep. So in the middle of the night, I have this dream. And I think sometimes God speaks to me in dreams because they're really clear to me and I know without doubt that it's spiritual and that it's from the Lord. And so in this dream, there's this woman and she is, we're in like a church-like setting and it's, it's a body of believers and she's going around and she is lying to all these groups of people and creating kind of confusion and dissension in, in this group. And I'm kind of observing this and I'm watching and I, I know that they're all lies. Like I'm aware of what's being said and I'm aware of the people and the circumstances. And she's going into people's ears and whispering about who they are. And it's different for each person that I'm just watching, getting so angry. And I know a lot of you don't know me personally, but in normal circumstance, I'm a pretty reserved person. <laughs> 
I, I'm not, I wouldn't, I, I'm pretty quiet and um, calm. I would never, ever do anything to embarrass myself or draw attention to myself in a group. But in my dream, I finally get so mad that I go across the room, you're a liar. And I just yell at her. And she looks and everyone's looking at me. And I feel this tightness on my throat all of a sudden. This like pressure of like, don't you speak because your voice is just gonna get quieter. And it does, but I don't care. I go, you're a liar, right? And yet as I'm losing my voice, the power in what I'm saying is gaining strength. And so I give it one last go and I have lost my voice at this point. And it's this whisper yell and it sounds like this. You're a liar. And I wake up. And the Lord tells me and reminds me of the scripture, he is the accuser of the brethren. And he comes to accuse each and every one of us. And he has come, Katie, to accuse you. And I get up. And I go to my closet, my husband's sleeping, and I go, you're a liar. You're a liar. You lie. That's all you do. You just lie to me. You just tell me lies over and over and over. And I'm done. I'm done hearing your lies. For a year, I have let you discourage me into thinking I have no calling and I should just give up on all of it. You're a liar. Right? And church, we have to be able to do weird and uncomfortable things like that sometimes. I am sure if my husband got up and saw me yelling at the devil at 3 a.m., that would be weird. But I'd rather be in freedom and feel like, I, yeah, I'm embarrassing. I don't care. Right? Thank goodness it was in my house. I didn't have to do it at my kid's school. But I would. You're a liar and you're gonna be called out. You're a liar. You have no power. You have no hold. And the only power you have is when I agree with your lies. I don't agree anymore. Don't agree. And I think there are people sitting in this room who have long agreed with the words of the enemy. You're a liar. Tell him, you're a liar. This is not my hope. This is not my future. This is not what you have for my family. You're a liar and you bring death and I am done agreeing with your death. So I have two things I wanna pray over tonight, today, if you would just bow your heads with me. And the first one is this. Maybe you listen to this message and this doesn't apply because you don't have this relationship. And maybe you know of God, maybe you know a lot about God, maybe you can tell me about scripture, but you don't actually know him. And the greatest gift and the greatest promise of all is relationship with him. And I have decided every opportunity and every moment I get to share the gospel of Jesus and the good news that he came to save you. He didn't come to shame you. He came to love you. He came to bring you life. I will use. And so if that's you and you go, I don't actually know him. 
And there's no shame in that, right? Because today is your first day of knowing him. He wants to know you. Would you raise your hand for me if that's you? Father, I just pray for those people, Jesus. God, that when we confess with our mouth and believe with our hearts that you are Lord, that you died, that you came back to life, that you are the King of Kings, Lord, we'll be saved. And I lift those people up to you right now, that today is the first day of your new life, of your great life. And maybe it's not easy and maybe you have to contend And you will. But I can tell you this. I've spent my whole life walking with Jesus. And some days are hard and some days are so sweet. But every day has been worth it. And we just give those people to you and we celebrate that, Lord, in your name. And then the second thing. I feel that there's a real call of people who are believing lies right now. And you need to be freed from them. You need to be freed. You need to be reminded of the promises of God for you, for your family. And you need to contend. But you need maybe a little extra prayer, maybe someone to come alongside you. And I'd like to pray for you. So if that is you, if you are in that place, if you feel like you are contending and you are tired, or you've lost sight of the promise, would you raise your hand right now? Yeah, all over. God, I pray right now. In a moment, you can set us free. In a moment, all we need is a moment with you. All we need is a second with you, that you come and you bring your good news, that you come and you fight on our behalf. And so on on behalf of the people who have raised their hand, God, would you come and would you fight? Would you come and would you bring your freedom? Would you bring your victory? Would you bring the Calvary with you, Jesus? God, would you come and bring freedom? And God, for every person who raised their hand or for those who didn't and do feel this way, God, I pray right now they would hold on. Would they wrap their arms around the foundation that is your promise? And that while it's shaking, that while it is going on, God, you would remind them and whisper in the ear, in their ear, in the middle of the storm, I have good for you. I have love for you. I have a hope and a future for you. Would you just do this with me, church? Would you just say, you're a liar, enemy, with me? You're a liar. He's a liar. And he's come to lie to you. Don't give it power. Don't agree with it. If you have to say it all day today, say it all day. And tell him, yes, God really did tell me this. Whatever it is for you, would you bring hope, Jesus, to the hopeless? Hope, Father. I feel your power. You are powerful and you are awesome. And you can do anything, God. May our faith be a faith that you can do anything. My circumstances, not my faith. We give you this time.
give you this day, Lord. We celebrate the victory, God. In your name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for watching. We hope that what was said and what you gained from this will help to build your life up in the way that the Lord is leading you specifically for right now in your life. Thank you for watching on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you again, however it works for you next weekend.